I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. the wise men say podcast we are here to reflect on another game of football at Sunderland failed to win and just reflect on a pretty mad two weeks so joining myself to do that is Gareth Barker as always evening hello <laughs> and James Hunter maybe give us a little bit more back than that James Hunter joins us from the Chronicle of course good evening good evening, good evening. <laughs> happy are we all happy how are we? What? Chuffed a bit. Chuffed a bit. <laughs> How does this rank, James, in your uh, history of eventful fortnights covering Sunderland? I was just thinking, actually, when I was uh, just before I joined this this uh, Zoom call, if I could think of another fortnight quite like it, um, and I can't. Basically, uh, it's just been it's just been absolutely. Incredible. I'm I'm struggling to to get a handle on it. Still, really, the club's inflicted so much damage on itself in in a fortnight that uh, you know this has to be seen to be believed. Really, yeah, quite remarkable, isn't it? When you when you step back and just think about it, and it, it ties on to what we'll some of what we'll talk about tonight because of um, Alex Neil's comments and stuff, which have have uh, been quite interesting to say the least. Shall we brush over the? Performance in is it is stopping a rot really drawn one one at Wimbledon who were terrible and near the bottom of the form table. I mean, is that stopping a rot? The pen, the penalty it was just like things aren't going well for us at the moment. Yeah, when it rains, and, a pause. That's what everyone thought yeah, when that happened. Yeah. And, I mean, mind we could have after the other there was a handball by Clark um, later, which was probably more a penalty that he didn't give. I know Pete was saying like he followed it up with like a challenge, but it was a t- I think it was a fair challenge run for the corner, but the handball could have easily been given again. Um, but the first one I think was, <laughs> I mean that referee said you know I don't want to like I'm not blaming the ref by the way, but he just like completely ruined the game. Like there was barely a tackle in the game, and he's dished out about fourteen yellows. I mean, that was. I've, I don't think I've. I don't even think like I've seen like a, a time where you derby with like that many yellow cards in. Do you know what I mean? Or like a really feisty sort of game where you know it's like a promotion game or a relegation battle game, something like that. That's got something on it. It was like, and it's a bit spicier. There was like, it was like such a low key like. Game, it it was there wasn't like nothing like there at all. It wasn't feisty. It was just like a flat, 
boring game, and he somehow would manage to dish out 14, 15 yard cards. Perhaps I mean, that was the idea. Perhaps you know it was a flat, boring game. So he thought, oh, let's do something yeah. about it. So anyway, I think he, I think if you include both yellow cards that he showed to McCormick, you know, there was there was twelve yellow cards in the game. Seven, seven of them going to Sunderland. Um, and as you say, there was barely a tackle in in the game. Really, it was it was ludicrous, and it got to a stage in the second half where every single challenge was a yellow card. It just became laughable, um, to be honest. And uh, I was quite relieved from Sunderland's point of view that um, there were no Sunderland players getting sent off. I had to try and you know pick yeah. out the <laughs> pick out the one small positive. Yeah, I mean it was. I mean, it's almost easy to forget that they had a player sent off. I mean, it was such like a nondescript encounter. I mean, again, with we've not been a threat. Um, you know, and that's been a theme. For the last, well, for the last sort of three three weeks or so, really, hasn't it? Where we just haven't, back further, we haven't created chances, haven't looked like creating chances. The bench options, you know, the 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 top heavy to the point where there's no point actually making the change because the the players that come on aren't the kind of players who are going to drop deep and get on the ball, the players who need to receive the ball in the final third. So we're not going to be able to transition the ball to them, to them anyway. I think Defoe's had more yellow cards than he's had touches since he's been back at Sunderland. Like, you know, I'm not having a go at him, but it's like, well, he's, <laughs> he's not going to come and drop deep and get into the game. He wants to get on the end of balls into the box and run in behind. That's what he does, find space in the box. Robert is going to want to receive the ball in like high up the pitch in wide areas. Clark thought again similar to Cheltenham looked all right, and then as the game went on, just kind of disappeared. Um, you know, Stuart was pretty poor again, but like he had absolutely nothing to go off. Um, it's just a bit, it's just it's a bit depressing, really. Isn't well, we it? spoke like, about the lack of options yeah. in the centre of the park all season. Like, but there's not, there's not even us. Revising anything we 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 have because we've questioned um, the form of Evans in particular and whether there's enough behind him. And as we get onto and in, in sort of align ourselves to what the manager was talking about in terms of the other younger players being a bit tired in that area, and um, it's a real issue. Isn't it? It's a real issue, and and you know. We've gone from, I mean, you've just said there in terms of self-harm, James. I mean, we've gone from a sack of a manager to try and preserve an automatic promotion push. And now every Sunderland fan I'm talking to is concerned we're not even going to finish in the playoffs. Yeah. Well, you know, that that's how quickly it's changed around, isn't it? When when Lee Johnson was sacked, um, you know, that, that Bolton game, Sunderland could have been top of the league had they have won that match um, and other results gone their way. And when he left, um, Sunderland was still just a point outside the automatic promotion places. Fast forward two weeks, um, and you know Sunderland are now looking in a, you know they're a part of a six-way fight for four uh, playoff places. Um, and as things are stacked up right now, um, you know it's going to be a real scrap for them. And that that even after that six-nil defeat at Bolton, that didn't look possible. Sunderland were well clear of seventh place. I think they were. Off the top of my head, I think they were about seven points clear off seventh place then. 
Uh, I think they're now two points two. off it, and the team, a team that are seventh, have got a game in hand. So you know, all of a sudden, it's it's changed immensely. And if the idea of sacking Johnson was because the club was worried about automatic promotion, uh, they've made things many times worse by by their actions, haven't they? And that's why I say, um, you know, Johnson's gone now. He's been he's been held accountable for for his failings. Um, now you you have to look elsewhere within the setup for for their failings, don't you? And where you're looking mainly, where would you say? Well, you've got to be looking at board level and at sport and director level. You know, the, this is the thing, isn't it? The head coach is is there, um, but if you sack the head coach, the next level, you know, you have to look, look above above him. That's you know, it's a, it's a simple simple as that. This this is why I don't like the sporting director model. Never have. Um, this is the third time Sunderland have tried it. Um, and what you have basically is, is you, you've got two people that want to couldn't be in control. You've got the head coach and you've got the sporting director. And when things go wrong, one gets the bullet, as Lee Johnson found, and the other one stays. Um, and this is, almost the, this is almost the problem, is that because you've got the model and the philosophy and the idea is you should be able to change coach but keep the model, um, is the model right in the first place? Is the model right? That's what, that's what I would question. You look at the recruitment, loads of talented players, people like Patrick Roberts, people like uh, Jack Clark uh, have come in into the club and everybody likes the, the ability that they bring, um, but they barely played a game between them before they came here. Um, and now they're trying to get up to speed in the middle of a, you know, a promotion campaign. And that isn't easy. The tone there about the model and I wouldn't, I don't entirely disagree with what you're saying, but I feel as though the failing here is not been, but being that the disconnection between the manager and the court, the, the sport and director, I think the disconnection has come between the football inside and the board. You mm-hmm. know, it, it's quite clear, I think, over the last two weeks that there's been two factions trying to make a very important decision in the football club and they've had two very different ideas about how they want to do it to the point where it's publicly embarrassing um, when you've got people all hyped up at, before the Doncaster game thinking like, oh, well, you know, Speakman's going to come on to speak to Frankie and Danny and say, oh, yeah, like we've we've got the manager and he'll be announced or whatever. For him to come on and say, oh, well, we'd, we'd, we'll be beginning like second interviews this week and all this kind of thing. It's like, what? Like, yeah. And then, obviously, the, the at board level, they're chasing a different dream, and those two things that that disconnect. What's happened in the last two or three weeks at Sunderland is borderline independent inquiry territory. Like you could honestly send somebody in and say, "What on earth happened here?" They should. What you need? Honestly, what you need somebody, is a, a, a Sue Gray inquiry. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's, I'm like I know, like it happens obviously in. A top level like England yeah. and stuff like that, where they go, what's happened here? We need to look into this. You could almost argue, so you need to bring in a consultant or an auditor and say, right, because what you're talking about here is potentially a fifth season for Sunderland in the third division. You know, they wanted to be out of here four years ago, and they've made it, they've made a change in order to make that happen. And as they've actually weakened the position of the club. And the act, the the effects of that could be huge. 
on on so in so many levels across across the club really because you know next season it again we'd have to it would be starting again completely because we, you know you're talking about turn another high turnover players because a lot of the players on the books aren't ours on short term deals. Um I feel a bit more confident with Alex Neal in charge, to be honest, in terms of him producing a team that will be a little bit made of sterner stuff over time. But I don't think he's going to be able to do it with the group that he's got at his disposal. No, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I wrote about stuff when when Ellis Short was here and obviously when he was unpopular and people wanted wanted Ellis to go... I said the problem you've got is that a football club isn't a democracy. It's not run by by you know a support of vote where you get to decide who your owner is or when he should sell. Um, and it's very much the same now in a, in a different context in that um, you've now got an ownership group, so you've got decisions being taken by committee all the time. At least under the old under the old regime with Ellis Ellis there, there was one person in charge, and what he said went. Now, did he make lots of bad decisions? Yeah, really bad decisions. But at least you knew where the responsibility lay because he made them. Who makes the decisions now? I mean, Kirill's you know, the majority shareholder, but there are other voices in the boardroom that are chipping in. You've got the sporting director having input into decisions about the manager or the head coach um, and players that are being signed. Everything, there's no accountability. And, and what really grates with me as a journalist um, is that there's no accountability because because nobody at the top of the club, I'm thinking about Kirill here, um, you know, will not submit to any kind of independent scrutiny. They'll do the the interviews on the club's own media um, channels, but let's face it, they're not going to get asked anything that will frighten the horses there. Um, and Kirill will come on and do 90 seconds with Jim White on Talk Sport again. You know, Jim White with the best will in the world. I don't know Jim White, but he doesn't know Sunderland and he doesn't know what questions he needs to be asking. You know, it's very broad brush uh, stuff. You know, Pre-record as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's not got, I mean, he's not, he's not got Simon Jordan who would probably yeah. like, whatever you think of him, he probably yeah. would ask yeah. some, whether or not they were placed correctly is another thing, but he'd probably say something that would yeah. instigate a little bit more of a... You know, a spiky yeah. response, I would have thought. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, there are serious questions about the structure of the club and the ownership of the club that need to be addressed and need to be answered. And we are just short of 12 months into Kirill's regime and they've not been addressed. And as long as we all know about the previous owner with Stuart Donald and Charlie and Juan, and for as long as they are in the background people will have suspicions about exactly how much influence they have. Um, and the only way to get rid of those suspicions is for them to depart or for at the very least for Kirill to come out and, and exactly tell us what's going on. And he won't do that. Um, and it's just doing immense harm. It means that every, the club's constantly got that cloud over it. Nobody knows who's making the decisions and why. Um, and, and, and I find that really hard to, to deal with. We don't, we don't know the effect of these people still being there has on Kirill's ability to carry out what he wants to achieve. And I'm, I'm not ex- absolving him from this because he's made the decisions and choices that he's made in acquiring the club. 
whether he's been naive in thinking, oh, well, you know, we shouldn't, we won't worry about this now. It'll be fine. You know, if there's a situation where we're saying like this, this money is going to be available to, to do these things. Who's to say that when it's come to putting the hands in the pocket at the point, at the key point, um, <clears throat> the other people involved at board level have gone, oh, actually, no, I'm not going to do that. And then he's in a situation where he could put that money in. But on principle, it's like, well, well, why should I? I mean, we we don't even know if he has, in terms of shareholdings, the the most, if you, if, you, if you sort of bunch them together, you know, if it's a 60-40 split with Dreyfus on 40% and you've got these other people sitting on 60%, you know, he could, he could sit and go, well, hang on. So I'm going to bankroll the success and then you're going to sell your percentages and make a, make a tidy profit and you didn't even buy the percent, didn't even buy the club with your money in the first place. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a heist. That's what it 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 is. That's what it is in a way. I mean, to be brutally honest, it's, it's just a it's just a question that it, that it's opaque. And, and when when it what it needs to happen is we need to to know exactly where the club stands, who owns what, who paid what for what, um, you know. And and let's let's get to the detail of this. Let's let's let, bring it out into the open. Let's be transparent. If there's nothing amiss, if there's nothing awry, if there's nothing that people will be startled by, there should be no problem, should there? You should just say, well, these are the facts. This is the shareholder split. This is who paid what. And that's and that's that. Why does why does there need to be an NDA covering covering all this? Who is it protecting and why? You know, if 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 Kirill is the owner and he's the majority or shareholder or the biggest shareholder, which we've been told, why do we need an NDA covering it all? For what reason? I mean, I, was, I just don't. I just don't understand that, and I, and I get a constant stream of people, as I'm sure you do. Um, but I get a constant stream of people saying, "When are we going to ask difficult questions? When are you going to ask the questions of the people at the top? When are you going to do this?" Well, it's not that you know we're ducking and asking the questions. It's that there is nobody that's prepared to answer them. That they, they will not grant us the interview to ask those questions. I can write about them. I can say these are the questions that Kirill must answer, um, and that's fine. But it doesn't make him answer them unless I can get him sat opposite me and I can say to him, "This is what I want to know." You know, then I don't get the answers. But he, like, I'll make another, well, have another, another crack at it. it. But, mm-hmm. like, I mean, my my view is, I mean, and I expressed it on a pod the other week, and yeah, we have you know, some argument. My argument's been slightly contradictory since we've talked about percentages there, but I think the percentages things, you know. It does. It is. It does matter in the long term, but I think at the moment they don't, because we've seen in the past that a a board member or shareholders' percentage is not necessarily relevant to how much daily influence that they have. So, if you want to ask a question about percentages, and they can just back that away by saying, "Oh well, you know, it's under NDU, we can't tell you." Then maybe the question line of question should be of the people that are involved, how influential are these people, regardless? And yeah. and that I think that's the key thing because as we've seen before, 
you know, Charlie Meth and six five six percent or whatever that he had, basically running the show. So he's still there now. He's still involved in a, in a capacity. Still members of Mad Rocks on the board at Sunderland. Um, and what I was saying, that people it's, who, complete, what it's was... completely naive. It's completely naive to say that he isn't doing. He has no influence in in what we are doing. And and for me, that that's that's the question. It's like how it's much influence the do these people yeah. have? And the but, it's the way they've always presented. Otherwise, yeah. is the main thing that when people say, "Oh well, you know, we always knew they still had a bit." Um, a bit of a stay in the club, of course, they're going to be involved, but that's not. No, we, you're told certain people are, are resigning and stepping down from day to day activity because that's what they want us to hear. They think that's what we want to hear, so that's what they say. And and the whole thing is just. I just wish that at the start they just came out. You know, people might have even reluctantly accepted what they were doing if they come out and being honest about it from the start and said. Debt's been written off, we're going, but we're going to have to use this parachute payment in order to make this work. Um, and we probably like try and sell you on to people who are more capable of looking after you than us. But it wasn't. It was the long term plans and the investments, and all while it was trying to get flipped in the background. And now with this, with the new what they were they're telling us to take over, and, and, and unless they're going to be transparent about who owns what, then there's always going to be a suspicion that actually it's not a takeover and it's investment because that was what they always said they needed it investment to to then maybe put the club in a better position so they can all flip it together. But of course, the fans aren't going to, you know, they might think the fans aren't going to want to hear that. So then they're going with the takeover line. And, you know, people it's are going to be people are going to be suspicious, aren't they? Because trust needs yeah. to be earned. And then if they've been if they've been misled before or the truth's been twisted before, then, you know, unless they're going to come out and tell us everything, then people are going to be suspicious. Of course, they it's are. very difficult. It's very difficult. And, you know, if you if you try and put the most positive gloss on this, if Kirill Louis-Dreyfus is the biggest shareholder and he's he bought the club or the controlling stake in, in the club, he needs to realise that he has to put some distance between himself and the previous owners because the previous owners are, as far as fans are concerned, you know, not welcome. Um, and so for his own good, he needs to put distance between himself and them. Um, are we referring to games together? Are we, we're falling into a trap there, and it's really easy to do it, as we're saying we're referring to these people as previous. Well, this this is it. I mean, they're not are they? They're not previous. They're still there. Trying, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to. I'm not, I'm not having a go at you there, by the yeah, way. Yeah, it, you find yourself I'm, doing it. Yeah. The, the, or the previous, what's gone before? They're still there. He's still there. Well, this is, well, this is it. I have a, I have a thing at the moment. You know, I, I, sometimes I sometimes uh I get it wrong or I'm busy and I just don't think about it, but I try wherever I can to refer to Kirill as the majority shareholder rather than the owner. It's easy. The short, the shorthand yeah. is just, you know, new yeah. owner Kirill, but really what he said is that he, he's the majority shareholder. And so that's how I tried to re- refer to him, you know, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's really tough. And because we don't have the answer to those questions, um, it, it makes all those kind of, uh, suspicions and that lack of clarity it brings it all all to the fore I mean the big thing that the big thing that I look at now is I'm obviously uh, you know the club's just appointed a new head coach in, in Alex Neal he's come in there's 14 games to go now um, but this season was all about promotion and that's still the standard to which the club has to be held now Lee John now 
if Lee Johnson was still here, then I would be holding him to that standard. His task was to deliver promotion. But he's gone now. So he's sort of absolved of, of responsibility. But if the club doesn't win promotion come the end of the season, you can't pin that on Alex Neil because he's only been here for 14, 15 games. Um, but other people within the club are going to have to take the responsibility for that. And with no... Uh, with Lee Johnson gone, and that means people in the boardroom and sporting director level, they they must be held accountable for that that failing. Um, what we'll get is what we'll get is, is, is going to stand down again, just, is he? <laughs> this was just year one of the new project, is what we'll get because they've already been spinning that one, haven't they? But that can't it's be not. It's going to be year five mm. of, the, of, of the same people <laughs> running the club and us being in that division. That can't that can't be accepted, though, can it? I mean, no, well, no, the, the, absolutely no, not. But it is by the point. The point is that the point is that uh, you know Lee Johnson was appointed in December 2020. He was a long. He was described as a long-term appointment. He is the man that the owners or the sporting director and the owners pin their hopes that this is the guy that's going to lead you out, out of League One into the Championship. Nobody expected him to do that in that first half season when he came in. Would have been lovely if he had, but he didn't. Um, but this was the season, his first full season, where he had to do that. Um, but what you can't keep doing is keep thinking, well, by changing manager, you get a reset every time. The, the club, the board gets a reset yeah. every, every time. Every time we change manager, it's like going back to Groundhog Day. Oh, well, you can't really expect Alex Neal to get you promotion this year. It'll be next year yeah. that, that you have to judge him. And that might be true of Alex Neal, but it's not true of the people that are now in charge. It's kind of why I don't understand why they got rid of Lee Johnson. As long as Lee Johnson was here, there was there was a layer between them and him. You know, the, the, he he was the firebreak, if if you like. Yeah. If, if, if come the end of the season, the club doesn't win promotion, then you shrug your shoulders and say, "Well, your job was to win promotion. You've got to go." Um, but by sacking him two thirds of the way through the season, that that firebreak has gone. Now it's all on the board. You know. Um, I mean, if, I, I don't know. It, it, it's, shall we? I think, we'll, we'll, we'll. Yeah. Sorry, go on. If I was just sorry, saying, no, if they'd appointed no. Alex Neil two, like two, like as just being said, if we would appoint them two days after the sack Johnson, then Pete would go. All right, fair enough. Yeah, but you know we've wasted essentially three games. Yeah, and we've got one point. So big decisions wrong. You look back to the Wigan game as well. There's decisions being made that you know they've kind of just caused it along. And and sport directors often do because the transfer market shuts now. It's not like it used to be where it was open all year and then you used to have one deadline in April or May, whatever it was. So you get two windows. So it means when the first window shuts, you get a few months just bobbing along, you know. I don't know what you would do, nine to five, but then you're not going to be judged until it opens again. And then they've just been they've made some absolutely horrendous calls in the last few weeks so we'll we'll leave that there and we'll have a break and we'll come back and we'll just talk about Alex Nail I think for the last 10 minutes or so. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com/people today 
Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to the Wise Men's Year podcast, right? I know we get accused of just mourning and being naked. So, um, you know, if, you, if you're not going to do that and, and your club's That's, lost ebb in their entire history, then when are you going to do it? So, what, what, what do people want, want? Like, come on. What do people want you to say? Well, you know what I mean? Think, I'm, I'm some just, people think just, you shouldn't be bothered about who owns what and, and, well, and stuff. Well, it's just mad. Like, I, I, well, you know, people are entitled to the, to the views, I guess. But if you want to sit and listen to this and think people are going to go, well, that was a lovely point at um, AFC Wimbledon at the weekend, wasn't it? Yeah. Stop with the rot is the one that's just, yeah. you know, sort of messing with my head. Stop with the bloody rot against a team that's like third bottom in the form table and and just didn't... Well, they were bottom of the four table before we played. Well, so. like, oh, then, so that's not stopping a rot. And it, it links us on um, to Alex Neal, I guess, as well, and everybody, you know, making the comments and you, you alluded to them there, Gareth, in terms of that he's coming, he's He's identified the issues in terms of the squad imbalance, so that the young players who were bringing the energy and the exciting stuff in the first half of the season are now knackered. There's not enough experience um, to step in, and the um, some of the newer players who have got a little bit more experience, who brought in, haven't got the minutes behind them, and the and the and the, to, to to come in and make a difference. So. A fair assessment, James. He seems to have nailed it in most people's eyes. I think it was great, actually. I, it was fascinating listening to Alex Neil. He spoke for about eight minutes after after the game, um, and it was it was really refreshing to get an outside perspective from somebody who's just you know he'd just been in the job for whatever it was thirty six hours uh, or whatever. Um, because I think we can all you know me and probably you guys as well and other journalists can you know you kind of get into a tunnel vision. It's hard to see the bigger picture, and he's just coming from outside and said, "Right, well, what's happened here is." You know, you've got these senior pros that have not got enough minutes and you've got these young lads that are fatigued and jaded, having been relied on to play nearly all season. I mean, you know, Dan Neal's had a fabulous season, um, but no manager in in his first season would expect him to start virtually every game, would they? I mean, um, that's just too much to expect of of a teenager. And there are other players as well. Callum, Callum Doyle, you could look at in the same category and so is, is it any wonder now that they're, they're they're struggling a bit Dennis Serkin's never played anything like this number of games Ross Stewart's never played as many games as as he has uh, this season now, no wonder that they've reached a point where they've where they've hit the wall plus obviously the the, the lack of confidence from from results and then you look at the um look at the players that came in um as we said you know talented players Jack Clark Patrick Roberts um that, that have come in but they've They've barely kicked a ball, you know. Barely had a senior out in this season. Jermaine Defoe come, comes in. He's thirty nine. He's played nine minutes all season, and you're expecting him to get up to speed in amongst the you know the, the heat of a promotion campaign. He's, he's just 
it's not fair on on him. People are, are expecting him to come in and be the difference, and that was never going to be the case. You've got you brought in um, Danny Barr, you know, a decent player, been in, you know, played a, played some games for Stoke this season, but you've let Tom Flanagan, a player that's been playing regularly all season, go. Uh, it, it just it baffles me. I I just don't understand what Sunderland were doing on on deadline day. Yeah. I know that I, I know that. You know, Tom Flanagan was out of contract in the summer. He wasn't going to get a new deal, um, and that's fine. I thought, but you need to bring in a replacement, and if you don't get the replacement, sometimes, uh, some you know, you have to be hard faced and say, "I'm sorry, Tom. If we can't yeah. get someone in, then you can't go." Yeah, no, that's what it's what we've said. It's what we've been saying since since, since that happened. So you're definitely yeah. uh, we're definitely on board with that. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? So you know, the need now seems to be this acceptance, and whether it is like you just said, James, because we've all had tunnel vision before, and maybe haven't been able to have that vision um, and look at the overall picture. Where now I myself see, in that, by the way, Stephen. Yeah, as well, yeah, you know, no, no, I'm I'm think not, good, I think it's a good point because I, I was yeah. going to link it to, to Lee Johnston and sort of you know ask what accountability he had and and say, well, are people now reflecting on that decision and saying, well, Alex Neil hasn't got a magic wand, so Lee Johnson didn't have a magic wand. And, you know, are we doing a bit of a 180 here in terms of, right, you know, we're all happy that Johnson's lost his job because we need to make sure we get promoted to the top two next season. Suddenly, everybody's saying we're not good enough to be in the top two this season and there's nothing any manager can do about it. So it's a bit of a change, isn't it? It's a bit of a heel turn. It is. I mean, well, I mean, you know, we're, we're sitting here talking now, the, the three of us. Does anybody think that Sunderland's chances of finishing in the top two have improved since sacking... Lee Johnson, by sucking no, Lee Johnson. Evidently not. No. So, so I mean, so, so straight away, if, the, if that decision was taken by the board to increase Sunderland's chances of finishing in the top two, it was the wrong decision, wasn't it? Because it, it's not happened. What they said has not happened. Um, I don't, it's just, it's just a mess. I mean, don't don't forget. You know, as I say, had Lee Johnson stayed, the task was to get promotion. Uh, lovely in the top two, but you could finish sixth and go up and. While nobody will be singing and dancing in the streets, hey, offer me it now and I'll take it. Tell, tell me that Sunderland will finish sixth and go up in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, 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 thank you. Deal done, you know. Um, so we'll never know whether he could have won promotion with Sunderland this season because he wasn't given the opportunity to finish the job. Um, we will find out whether uh, Alex Neal is able to do anything from, from the hand that he's been dealt. Um, but still, we come back to deadline day, sacking a manager on the eve of deadline day. So who's... I know, obviously, the sporting director's got a, a big say in the recruitment of players, but who's signing things off? Who, you know, who is who is doing the deals and on who say so and why? <sighs> just staggering, just staggering. You know, there was tension behind the scenes for some time between Lee Johnson and uh, and Christian Speakman, and uh, I think it's obviously played a, a part in that in, in that decision. I, I, I don't know. I think. I think what do we think those tensions were driven by? I think they're always over recruitment, aren't they? Because this is where we have the model you're talking about. Where does responsibility lie um, for decisions that are taken? Um, and this is where nobody knows. You, you know, uh, you know, Lee Johnson had a say in players that came in. Did he have the final say? I don't know. Um, he had a, a say in it. Um, he he said that he's, he's worked with with sporting directors before, um, but never in quite the same circumstances as here at Sunderland. He seemed to have no say when it came to contracts or anything like that. So you, we would ask him whether Bailey Wright would get a new contract or, you know, somebody else, Lyndon Gooch would get a new contract. 
Um, and he'd just say, well, you know, that's one for the sporting director. He said, I've, I've given my recommendation, but uh, that's not my call. That's something you need to speak to Christian about. So there's always that, that thing where it seemed that the head coach um, was a bit of a, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, it was, it was it felt a bit powerless, really. He sort of had to to do um, to do what he could with the players that he was presented with, um, and then of course you know you uh, the the change. I, I think Alex, I think Sunderland have got have got a good head coach and Alex Neil. I think when you look at the candidates that are out there, um, there wasn't much between Alex and Grant McCann, um, and I'm, I'd have been happy with either of, of the two of them to be honest with you. But the whole thing got thrown off by the pursuit of Roy Keane. Um, who wouldn't have fitted the model, you'd have had to junk the sporting director model. I mean, if you think that Roy Keane's going to be told uh, what you've got to do and and whatnot by by a sporting director, well, you know, you don't know much about Roy Keane. You know, that's just not going to happen. Um, and I think that it, I think that whatever the stick, stumbling block um, was ultimately um, between Sunderland and Roy, it's more likely to, to do with where control lay rather than where where money was concerned. I mean, Roy's richer than God. He doesn't need, he doesn't need, you know, he, he doesn't need a, a big fat salary, you know. In terms of and, and plus, and plus, and plus, if he lost his job at Sunderland, ever, you know, Roy would walk straight back into a TV contract. Don't yeah, worry about of that. He would. Of course he would. Well, in terms of accountability, then, so we're saying uh, there's been a bit of a 180 on suddenly our appraisal of the squad and whether we consider them being good enough to get promoted. I guess the flip side and, and of, of saying, oh, actually, maybe Lee Johnson was doing okay, is when we're talking about these players being flogged, caravated to death in terms of what they're being expected to do. We've spoken all season. Categorically, we there will be some games, Sunderland would win 3-0 or 4-1 or something, and Ross Stewart, in our opinion, should have been taken mm. off after seven minutes because he's running the channels, he runs himself in the ground, you're winning 3-0, and Lee Johnson would leave him on for 90 minutes. Mm. So there yeah. is some accountability there, isn't there, in that? I think that there's a variety There's a variety of different, you know, it's marginal things, isn't it? But it all comes back now to the, you know, we had an opportunity to maybe resolve that in, in January and we haven't taken that opportunity. I know Alex Neil mentioned the free market and the issue that, you know, might if they do bring somebody in, it might take time to get them up to speed. But I honestly don't think they've got an, an option that, other than uh, to explore it and bring bring two or three bodies in, like, and take the chance because it could, if we're talking about playoffs, if we've got these options available to us at the point where, you know, we get, we're get going into the playoffs and maybe we've picked up a bit of form, then it'll be worth it. But we can't get a situation where we pick up a few more injuries going to the playoffs and we've we've got two or three defenders available. One of them who's never kicked the ball in league football in England. So I mean I mean what happens? I mean the one thing going into January that that I kept writing and that people kept saying was Sunderland needed some cover for Ross Stewart. And yet they've they've reached the end of January and we're now well into February and that has never materialised. I mean, what happens on Saturday against um, uh, you know against MK Dons? What happens? What happens against MK Dons if Ross Stewart gets injured tomorrow in training? You're gonna you're gonna start gonna start Jermaine Defoe. Not played ninety minutes in no, total all season. So so what do you do? 
So, I mean, that is the kind of decision which drives me wild. Everybody was knew that that you had to have some cover for Ross Stewart, and instead they brought in Jermaine Defoe, who we all know what his what his qualities are, but we also all know that his lack of match fitness, and yet you let Aidan O'Brien leave to go to Portsmouth, and Aidan O'Brien is is not a direct replacement for for Ross Stewart, but at least he was somebody that you could play in that system, um, you know, if, if required, you know. It, it defies belief, and, and if Sunderland should get that kind of an injury to Ross Stewart, and let's, you know, all touch wood and hope that that doesn't happen, you know, it'll be another damning indictment of, of that January window. This looks more, the worse and worse, the more you discuss it, doesn't it? It's, it's, I know, I'm really uh, depressing you guys. I'm sorry. No, you, 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 you don't need to do that, um, James. I think that ship's already sailed. Um, right. I'm just really angry about the whole, the whole No, I, and it's, it's good, it's good on, to hear that. On it's good. Of Sunderland fans. No, it's good to hear that you are as well. I think a lot of our listeners will appreciate that. Um, we're not trying to like dress things up in any, in any way. Because as I said, if you can't be depressed and annoyed when the club's in its lost ebb and it's long, you know, or well over a century old history, then then when can you be? Well, I know you need to get off, James. We'll try and wrap things up. Um, are we? Are we? Are we positive about Alex Neil and and um, his chances of, of consolidating the playoff place? I guess that's the only thing. That's all we can ask for now. I think we'll, yeah, I think he'll do enough to get us into the playoffs. I'm just hoping I think that will. As well. I'm just hoping I, I, that I we think, hit the. I still think our squad should a couple of wins should turn around a bit. Hit the form, hit hit the good form at the right time, and if we can go into the in, go into the playoffs on the back of a good run and with a bit of confidence, and a little little bit more confidence, and if you can show the defense a little bit and, and get get you know get a run of games where we're keeping some clean sheets, I think that'll be massive because I think there will be a belief there. That you know, if we if we can keep those clean sheets, knit the odd game one two nil, that's been the issues really. Um, you know those those all those goals conceded. Maybe we'll you know go into the playoffs and and fail. You know we're going to be tough to beat because I think everybody knows we're just too easy to play against, and we've explored those reasons today and and why that is. And he's hit the nail on the head, really. Yeah. Law of averages says we've got to win a playoff campaign. <laughs> Eventually, eventually, if you qualify yeah. for the playoffs that often, eventually you. I'm, I'm positive. I'm positive about uh, you know Alex Neil. I, I think that uh, you know he's, he's a, a decent choice. He's not the not the exciting, sexy Roy Keane choice that everybody wanted or that so many people wanted. Um, but I think he's a good, solid choice. And uh, you know, if anyone has got an, a chance to get some Sunderland up through the, the playoffs, then you know I, I would I would say he. He's as good, as good as anybody. I think Grant Neal and Cliffy Byrne, obviously Cliffy Byrne coming coming back to Sunderland would also have been a good pairing. Don't don't get me wrong, but yeah, I'm I'm pleased with Alex Neal and I'm I'm happy with with that appointment given you know the options that were on the table. Okay, well Saturday is going to be a massive test because these, the caliber of opposition is far superior to what we've been struggling against in recent weeks. But Alex Neal has a, has a, a partially week, new pitch as well. So it'll be interesting to see what that mm. looks like. Well, yeah, just yeah. a great fame kid on passing game, isn't it? Right. Um, <laughs> so um, Matt will be back later in the week um, to talk you through that. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs> Thank you
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.